Hi all, welcome to my podcast. I'm Parker Yoakum and this is a new thing I'm trying out. Not really one to hop on the bandwagon of most things and podcasts being included. I ugh, It makes me cringe to think of the fact that I'm starting a podcast because it's just too trendy, you know? But anyway, I thought it would be a convenient way to put down in writing, or not really, but put down some thoughts I have about some movies I watch. I also run a blog on Tumblr, but that's more analytical essay form, long format, and also I never add to it. I think I added a post after Joker came out, but that was the first time since February or something. So if you're looking for consistency of content, don't go there. Come here. Because I think it's going to be a lot easier to just come on here and comment some things that I think after watching a film. So hopefully someone finds my insights interesting, intriguing, or otherwise a good way to while away some time. So hope you enjoy your time here at Cinephile's Delight. And I'll get right into the first episode. So I just finished watching Black Klansman for the third time this year. So on the third go-round, I'd say that I have a more cool opinion or point of view of what is actually going on in the film. Gosh, that sounds pretentious. But what I mean by that is the first time watching it through, it's something like, oh, it's a blockbuster more or less. It's kind of like going to see... It or Avengers Endgame. And what I mean by that is the actual semiotics of the film itself are structured so that it fits very nicely in line with continuity editing with, well, actually I say that, but on several occasions, Spike Lee employs some almost jarringly odd uses of overlapping editing, which seem out of place in an otherwise pretty normal film. And trying to get at the heart of what that is trying to say. I think what that gets to is that he needs to break outside of the mold of a traditional Hollywood piece in order to tell the type of story that he wants to. But at the same time, in order to get it told, he has to conform to the traditions of the cinema that he finds himself working in to get it sold, to get it to see a mass audience. And I'll I'll touch more on that later. But one of the (laughs) interests... If nothing else, the... uh, Scenes that he includes at the end of the film, I I don't really know what all they add to it other than sheer emotional impact. And yeah, obviously it's an awareness of the fact that these issues are still pertinent today. But I don't know, for me personally, the one thing I learned from that is that David Duke is jacked. Holy shit, did you see those biceps? I mean, damn. I was expecting him to be a scrawny dude. But anyway... On the ideology of the film itself, what Spike Lee seems to be speaking towards throughout much of it is that throughout the history of American media culture, the black American has been portrayed in such a way and interpolated into the media that he's confronted with in such a way that portrays him as something less than. And yeah, no shit. I mean, that's kind of... A given at this point, we know that. But Spike Lee really wants to draw attention to the fact that we really take that idea for granted and that it's not something we consider on a day-to-day basis, especially if you're growing up surrounded by the signifiers of subjugation. So you look at the speech of Stokely Carmichael at the student union, and when he talks about, he gives that anecdote where he went to see Tarzan, 
as a child, and he would cheer for Tarzan to beat up the tribesmen. And he's saying, really, what I wanted, what I was saying in that theater was, kill me, kill myself. And I didn't realize what I was doing because I was so successfully incorporated into the vision of American life that the cinema was portraying. It was unquestioned. I accepted it as what I should think. And that's what Spike Lee's trying to say, is that the power of media, the power of film, the power of television is in its storytelling capacity, what stories get told and how we tell them, how we represent people does in fact have a very pertinent and immediate impact on people's perceptions of themselves, people's perceptions of groups, the formation of ethno-social groups that maybe might not have been there in the first place, the solidification at least of stereotypes of these groups that can be harmful in several different ways. This comes up again and again in the film. It's a very metafictional piece where you see Spike Lee pretty overtly referring to the tools of media formation, again with the Tarzan anecdote, but also you see the opening scene in the film where Alec Baldwin is speaking, again, direct address into the camera. He has images projected on top of his face. He's quite literally becoming a talking head in this opening scenario. And the images that are projected on him are those of hate, are the images of, say, the movie Birth of a Nation, which figures very largely in the plot. And it's these images that resonate examples in which Hollywood or in which some form of visual entertainment has portrayed the black race in a light that is directly intentionally degrading for the purpose of political and social subjugation, which that's echoed again when you see the scene in Birth of Nations being played at the Ku Klux Klan induction ceremony, when Ron Starworth is being inducted by his brothers, and they're all watching and reacting to this film that at the same time is being described by the black student union's guest as the inciting incident for the lynching of his younger friend, which he's recalling with horror. And again, one of the overt techniques that Spike Lee uses to draw attention to the process by which these ideas become ingrained in people almost naturally through our encounter with media is a technique that he uses throughout the film over and over again, which is not an overt breaking of the fourth wall, but what occurs is that his characters will speak directly into the camera and he frames it in such a way as it's the natural progression of shot reverse shot though there's something oddly unsettling about the fact that the characters are staring directly into the camera you see it originally in ron stallworth's interview with the colorado springs police department both parties look directly into the camera uh, at the end the police chief looks directly into the camera but most out in the beginning out baldwin is looking directly into the camera and you get a sense that these characters are speaking directly to you as the viewer it makes you conscious of your own position in the distribution, in the consumption of the product that you were watching, in the, the product being Black Klansmen. It makes you conscious of the fact that you are undergoing a inherently ideological process by watching this film. And then the final culmination of that is, in my opinion, when you have the guest of the Black Student Union 
speaking about the lynching of his friend, and he looks directly into the camera when referencing the castration of his friend and the other various brutalities that were enacted on him. And it makes it very difficult for us as a viewer to shy away from those realities. And I, I think that is ultimately Spike Lee's goal with not only the whole film, but more to the point with those final sequences that he includes. And he's trying to show that this isn't an issue that we as a people can pretend, not pretend is not happening, but it's not one that we can ignore. And obviously he's going to say that he's trying to enact change, but specifically within the realm of representation politics, it's not something that we can let stand by and hope that it's going to fix itself because it's something that so naturally ingrains itself in public consciousness. It's something that so perniciously sneaks in there through the representations we see in media. So if we don't question those, if we don't think about the Tarzan myth and our place in it, obviously when I say our, it's a royal we. I am not myself an African American, but I can still speak to some of the processes that are going on in this film and in the country at large. Other than that, really cool shot that he uses at the end of the film when the police chief is talking about ceasing their investigation, and he brings back the classic wide-angle Spike Lee shot. I always wondered how he gets, specifically in this one as compared to some of the similar shot compositions in, say, Do the Right Thing, in this one in Black Klansman, the depth of field is remarkably shallow, and it's somewhat surprising me that he's able to get that in a relatively low-light scenario using a crazy wide-angle lens. Those are things that typically don't go together. And other than that, one of the things that I noticed was the editing seems really fast. Not to mention the numerous, numerous jump cuts, but he really likes to jump around in terms of shot scale, and it becomes incredibly jarring when you watch certain dialogue scenes the first and second times i watched it i watched it on a large format screen so that kind of didn't matter because i'm conditioned to view hollywood cinema that's been edited that way but when you watch it on a smaller screen say some sort of home video distribution the editing becomes much more ostentatious in how quick it is and how jarring the transition from a well, relatively medium-wide shot to a close-up becomes in a dialogue scene with multiple people. He really likes to direct actors, especially you see this over and over again in Black Clans and where you have a group of people and he'll maybe shoot five or six different angles of the scene with various close-ups or two shots or wide shots of the group and its members that comprise it. And watching it, it almost feels like it could benefit from just letting it breathe a little. I mean, as soon as one character delivers their line, the next is cut to so they can deliver their line. It's almost like he's editing a TV sitcom for crying out loud. But overall, it accomplishes its goal very, very effectively. I am no one to <laughs> sit back and criticize Spike Lee <laughs> for crying out loud. But watching it, it's a thoroughly enjoyable film. And I think you could look at it from the angle of possibly uh, exploitation. Nah, spoof's not the right word, but more or less it fulfills the same function as a black exploitation spoof. In especially, you look at the mise en scene, 
when you get things like Ron Stallworth's costume, especially towards the end of the film, where he's wearing that jacket with big fuzzy lapels. He's got multiple layers on. He's got a red vest under that little flower medallion and the big afro. It's a very specific image that's being portrayed there and one that is by no means accidental on the part of the production crew. So, and again, the overt references to black exploitation cinema lend lend themselves to that reading. So, lot to unpack there, but I think that it's very not a it is a fun film, honestly. It's a fun film, but it does not end that way. It might not start that way, but might not end that way, but for the majority of it, it's a fun film, and I think that's what makes it so scarily powerful, is that it can be such a good time and yet portray such dark and viscerally important themes. So, that's all I got for you. Signing off. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.